Hey, this is Looking Back, Looking Forward, a bi-weekly podcast where we invite people of all different walks of life, careers, and backgrounds to hear their stories and how they became who they are today. Welcome back to Looking Back, Looking Forward. My name is Johnny. And I'm Liam. It's great to be back with everyone this week. If you guys have been following March Madness, uh, you'll know that Johnny and I might not be super happy right now with uh, the results of the Illini game. They fought hard, but in the end, just couldn't take down Loyola. I don't know, Johnny, are, are you invested at all anymore, or are we kind of tuned out? Well, I mean, I bought tickets for the Lead 8, and I will be going, so I think I have to be invested in one team. My roommate says Oral Roberts is going to go all the way, so I guess Absolutely. I'm for Oral Roberts now. Yeah, I'm committed. I said if, if Oral Roberts even makes it to the Final Four, I'm just going to buy Oral Roberts merch. Like, I'm going to buy their Final Four shirts. I'm, I'm all in. <laughs> and, and as bitter as I am at Loyola, I think it would be pretty cool to see them go to the Final Four, too. Just to shake it up. Uh, I don't know if I'd like that. But I don't know. It's weird because the Big Ten was like the powerhouse coming in. And yes. everybody got eliminated except for, like, Michigan. So Yeah, they were supposed to be really the chosen crazy. ones. But yeah, it didn't work out too hot. So, uh, well, anyways, um, as some of you guys may know, uh, Liam, Stephanie, and I are part of InterVarsity, which is a Christian fellowship on campuses across the United States. Um, and our guest today is a fellow InterVarsity student. He is currently a senior who used to study electrical engineering, but just recently switched to behavioral neurology, which is pretty interesting. Um, he also goes to the U of I, and so yeah, let's welcome Amir. How are you doing today, Amir? Hey guys, I'm pretty good. Um, I'm doing pretty well. I'm kind of excited uh, that, you know, my peers have a podcast of their own. That's pretty fun. Yeah, I think Amir has a podcast of his own too. Do you want to, do you want to plug that real quick? Yeah, shout me out. Uh, So it's called Comfort Free Conversations, actually. Uh, I've been at it since about December. There's quite a few episodes up there now, but it's to present uncomfortable situations of all sorts as a utility, right? It's something I think that Mm -hmm. people often try to avoid. But it's something I think we should capitalize on, and it's it's part of the human experience we can't escape. So that disagreements, uh, uncomfortable truths, uh, debates, uh, dialogue, all sorts. So, yeah, thanks. That's really real. Really quickly, I I'm just gonna ask because it intrigued me when you told me like a few minutes ago, like uh, electrical engineering to behavioral neurology. That's a that's a weird switch. Um, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because I'm intrigued. Yeah, that's a huge switch. I think um, it's something I struggle with throughout my entire college career, actually. Um, I think I'm pretty good at STEM in terms of math and science. And so for me, I come from a very, uh, what what do I want to say, disadvantaged background. Um, My mom benefits from a ton of like legal uh, governmental programs. And so for me, money was important and graduating with like hitting home, like 100K or six-figure income was like something that brought me a lot of security. Um, And it also like uh, challenged my pride about being black and being from an impoverished background, but still coming off as intelligent. Um, Like, you know, it's just stereotype that we're not going to succeed at STEM. So I think it just created a very complex thing uh, for me in my life. And it was like during COVID, like God was like smacking me in the face. Like <laughs> it was, it was, it was really rough. Cause it was like, there was one night I had been up for four days straight and had not slept trying to keep up with all of the work that was coming with all of the different things. 
and I'm a very in-person learner. So it, it, my learning curve like drastically dropped because I didn't have the interpersonal interaction. So I, I was up for the fourth day. I was finally finished my midterm. I was trying to cut on the fan and the fan wouldn't cut on. And I swear I like almost had like a nervous breakdown that moment because I just wanted to go to bed and then I laid down and couldn't sleep and I almost started panicking. So for the next couple of days, I went on a fast and I just had a really deep reflection with God and, you know, uh, about what, what was going on. And I hadn't directly arrived at the conclusion of changing a major, but I was like, what's going on with me that I'm this run down. And so like, he made me confront all of that pride that I talked about, all the insecurities and come to the conclusion of, yeah, you know what I've called you to do. You know what I've asked you to do. You're just afraid to do it because you don't want to trust me for the security that's going to come in that. Like you don't want to, you want the hundred thousand dollars to be your security. You don't want me to be your security that terrifies you. And so that was really what like incorporated the switch. So then looking to uh, behavioral neurology, what do you feel like God is calling you towards like in that profession? I feel like it's really wide and almost vague kind of like area. So is there like specifically something that you felt like God was calling you towards um, and away from engineering? I think technically, like what would I technically do? Um, I would counsel. I think I, I am a person that doesn't mind getting their hands dirty. Uh, and I'm, I'm willing to walk with people in their muck and in their mud. Uh, and I think that's a useful skill, uh, to have plus, uh, but I don't know that it will entirely practically or technically just be that I definitely think that I will go to grad school, but I'm in this kind of vein where I'm trying to unlearn a lot of stereotypical pathways. And so one of them is that you have to earn your largest source of income from what you graduated doing, right? So of course I'm going to have some type of technical job and maybe some internships in that field. And I think it's kind of like lucid where it could go. But the biggest thing that I'm focused on besides going to grad school and getting an internship of that degree is to build other uh, streams of revenue, monopolizing on the skills that I already have. For example, come for free. Like I actually, I'm I'm very ambitious about that. Like it's something that I I kind of want to hit home for the long run, turn into something bigger than what it is. And before we started off today, you had asked Johnny and I like kind of what prompted our podcast, like why we decided to take that up. Yeah. Um, do you mind me asking, like what prompted you to start up Comfort Free? Okay, so outside of the U of I, I'm associated with this uh, seminary school. Um, I actually taught at the seminary school last semester. I taught a prayer class um, from a couple of different books. It was great time, but I was also uh, engaging in their their content as well. And one of them was an entrepreneurial class. And so that just kind of got me thinking of a different model of business and what is my brand. And it's like, I think people view themselves as extremely incapable. Um, and but you have like if you if you go back a couple hundred years, we were all pretty entrepreneurial. It was all based off like trade and things like that. So it was like you actually are more capable to produce some type of benefit to other people than you think. And so for me, I think that conclusion was my speaking ability. But I had this conundrum of like having all of these intelligible things to say, but I'm not having the credibility behind them. So I couldn't necessarily like create like some E-class or something like that. So instead, what I decided to do was like develop a reputation by talking to a variety of people to show that I can hold my own in a conversation and that I have something important to say. 
uh, and the direct fashion that I choose chose to do that was, I think, to me, in my opinion, today's society is extremely hedonistic. And that, that just simply means like, I think we put our desires and our pleasures at the forefront or the highest priority. And I just think that's a huge disservice to us. Like they're definitely important, but con uh, fault. False unity is, is something I'm ta attacking. Conformity are all huge in issues that I've been extremely invested in. And so this was just the outlet that I did. Like I'm always ministering to these people and I'm always comforting and counseling all of these people and, and giving them the courage to step up to all of these uncomfortable ideas. And so I was like, well, since I'm always doing that, let me commodify my, myself, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really cool. Definitely pretty different than why me, Liam and Steph did ours, but I think probably cooler. So I, I haven't listened to your podcast, but I'm excited to, to uh, listen to a few episodes. You said it's on Spotify. Yes. Uh, some pretty much any platform that I can think of. I've tried to, I try to get it everywhere. Hmm. Okay. I will look into that. And so should our listeners, our very few listeners, but <laughs> we, we can get you a few more maybe. Yeah. So question I had when you're talking earlier, right? Like, you're talking about switching majors and then how, yeah, you were like kind of coming to that decision. Like you were overwhelmed and like to the point of like almost like a nervous or a panic attack, I think you were saying. So yeah, kind of going deep into that, right? Like I think something that we ask a lot of our, a lot of the people we invite onto the podcast, like where's your mind at? Like when you make those big decisions and discerning your future and like choosing, like, is this where God's calling me or like, is this the path I should go on? Why should I choose this path over the other path? Like, where's your mind at? And like, what kind of thoughts were you thinking uh, leading to those decisions? Uh, if that makes sense, I can rephrase if it was kind of vague. So I think you're asking me like, what was all rushing through my head? Like, what were the ideas flowing in like that kind of like the conflict of ideas of like, where was I? Yeah. And then like, why'd you make, why'd you end up making the decision you made? Um. So... I guess if we're going to map my mindset, so like I was already a senior when I made that decision. Well, technically junior, because I took a gap year. Um, I was, But I was of senior age at the point that like I was at this place. And it was like, I've had all of this investment into this career path and to change now. I think it was just like a huge shot down to my my ego and my pride. And then like, was it realistic financially and things like that? Uh, so these were kind of things going in my head. And then all of these, like, I think super existential questions, like, does God really choose like your career path for you? Like all of that kind of stuff, like how much liberty, how much free will and uh, variety do you have in expressing your character, right? As who you were, who we believe we're designed to be, like how much leeway is in that? I think that was probably some of the biggest questions that I was asking. Um, and then the other question was like, this part of my identity that is extremely, like I would say, technical, literal, mathematical, scientific. So I was like, well, what am I supposed to do with all of that part of me? It kind of like, it could easily feel like, well, you've wasted your time as if like there weren't a whole bunch of things that were adding into you as you were going along the way. So like, even if I don't go home and do a calculus problem to find like some chemical compound or like, you know, solve this drastic world problem with calculus, those things and how they taught me to think are important. And those are ways that could set me apart if I did choose a different career path. Ironically, uh, for me, I have a spiritual mother. And so I go to them for counsel often. 
And so we're, I'm from a Pentecostal background, so we believe in the gifts of the Spirit and stuff like that pretty intensely. Um, I went, I fasted for three days about like the idea of like just giving me an answer. And so I called my spiritual mother and she was trying to get in touch with me anyway. And she was like, mirror, mirror, mirror. Oh my gosh. All three of us, all three of your spiritual mothers had the same dream about you last night. And so I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. So then I, I bring up the issues and she told me what she saw. And so she, I didn't tell her anything, but I told her what career path would I go down if I were to switch, excuse me. I, she told me the career path that I would have went down if I were to switch without me telling her. Like I didn't tell her what I would have done and what I'm good at, but she told me like herself, like from what she was, what she saw. And so that was pretty imperative to me. So then after that, after she told me that, I just reflected a few more times. And so I think the pinnacle of the decision was to see that there were more reasons for pride, fear, idolatry rooted in my career path than there were God choices. And so that was ultimately the thing that was like, I've been trying to tell you this the entire time, but you just weren't in the sensitive place to hear it or receive it. So then I, I made the switch after that. And ironically, making the switch uh, actually is going to let me graduate sooner than if I would have stayed, even though I stayed just as long in engineering. Yeah. And I think that concept of like idolatry, like you said, surrounding, um, our career choices, like, um, our aspirations, professions, the things that we study is so true, especially, you know, being on a college campus, you see it all the time of, right. People making an idol out of this like idea of, I'm going to do this so that I'm successful or like you were talking about, I'm going to do this so that I can make um, enough money to feel secure in myself. And I think for Christians, we've heard a lot of, right? Like giving that up and putting our trust in God, that he is faithful, that he'll provide for us. Um, but I think it's really that, right? Connecting the head knowledge, to the heart knowledge of like, well, do I actually trust God with this? Do I actually trust that if I say yes to what God is offering me, that he will provide for me, that like he will keep me secure. So it's awesome to hear you talk about that. And I was wondering like, right, what kind of advice you might offer to someone who's in that kind of place right now, struggling um, with that idea of like, well, like, should I really be trusting that God is going to come through and provide or am I right to stay where I'm at now? You know? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And this is one of the things that I've been delving into a lot lately, but everyone wants there to be this right answer. Like, like you were designed to do this and you're only meant to work in this factory. And I think part of that is, and maybe I'm getting a little too political here, but I think that's part of like, that's what America is kind of endowed in us. Like you're only meant to produce this output or this work. You're, you're a, you're graded, you're in a, a graded robot or product that is graded by how well that they can produce. And so I think the mind frame that we think when we think about decisions like what should our career be, it's like, well, will the will the grade of my product go up if I were to switch? Right. And so it's I think the problem is thinking of it as a should. I think the problem is thinking of it as a should. Like, it's not that you should necessarily do anything. It's like, what is the best choice for you to make? And and are you able to live with it? Like you have to live with you over everyone else. I think for me, the biggest problem was I'm kind of disgusted about people's obsession with doing what they love. And I, 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 I 
phrase that so harshly on purpose because I think a lot of things require discipline. I think you have to do a lot of things that you hate in your life. I actually think people are morally obligated to do what they love as well as what they hate. And I think a lot of people can escape that. But I, so I would say, is it realistic for you to stay down this path? Are you going to kill yourself trying to do this thing? And there's a lot of different ways you can kill yourself. Are you going to kill yourself emotionally? Are you going to kill yourself like socially? Like, are you going to ruin your relationships by doing this? Are you going to kill the dreams that you've, you've had the entire time, right? But on the other end of that spectrum, are you going to kill your discipline? Are you going to kill your work ethic? Are you going to kill that thing that challenges you to do that thing you never really wanted to do, right? Like, that's also important. And so, like, thinking about holistically what's good for your health, your spiritual health, your well-being in that choice is what I would kind of encourage people to do. But more than that, to encourage them not to obsess over what should be done, right? That I think that's the biggest thing that, that cripples people. Like I should, like it wasn't that I should have switched to biology and I had to, or behavioral neurology and that I had to do that. I could have stayed in electrical engineering, been successful, completed it. Maybe it would have taken me longer, harder. It doesn't matter. It's up to me and my free will about is that something in my heart that I'm actually committed to doing or am I just lying to myself? Yeah, that's good. And I, I remember hearing a sermon once um, about, right, like we ourselves are not going to mess up God's plan for us. Like if there's two pathways and we choose one of them, that's not going to, like God's not going to be thrown off by that, right? God will use us where wherever we decide to go, whatever path we decide to be on. So yeah, I, th I think you're totally spot on with that. Yeah, awesome. And that's, that's a very concise way to say it. Like, I'm, <laughs> it's a good way to reiterate it. I, I tend to be a little long winded. But yeah, like, yeah, if there's three pathways, it doesn't matter. Like, God can still reach you to your expected end. Yeah, since we're kind of on the topic of like pathways, uh, Amir, do you want to talk about like just like all the side things you have going on? So, like, extracurriculars. I know like you're a part of uh, BCM, which is in university. So, you can explain to our listeners what that is and you mentioned earlier that you're like on the side you're part of like a seminary school yeah so bcm black campus ministries is a subset of iv uh right university which is uh aimed to not separate but give a safe space for minority students given that because they're a minority they dis they experience some discomfort so it gives them a comfortable community to call home regardless of if you're christian or not uh, part as our service and as a family, and then at the same time to challenge people to incorporate into the larger chapter, which is more, I would say, uh, international. Um, and so so I do spend a lot of time in that. However, I would say my leadership role, especially this semester, has taken a back burner as I kind of watch like the new generation come up. So a lot of what I do is try to play a supporting role, at least to the best of my ability, given like all of the things that I am trying to juggle. So I'm a part of that. I am trying to stay invested in an or a new organization that's blooming up called CMCI, uh, which is aiming to connect all of the different Christian denominations across the campus, like all of the different organizations. Because I kind of believe like we're one body of Christ and regardless of our differences, we shouldn't be as separated as we are. Like you, you're severing the arm from the chest. You're severing the, the leg from the knee, the joint, like, you know to be interconnected in, I think, the way that we were called to be, right? Instead of having like 50,000 organizations scattered across. So that's that's a great organization. And then, yeah, so 
besides from the podcast, which actually takes so much time with the social media and the booking new people. Yeah, I'm a part of a, a seminary, uh, a school uh, connected to a church that I came from. And they're kind of encouraging. Uh, well, first, it's a seminary degree, but they're also encouraging, like, how can you monopolize your other gifts and skills into something that's practical into something that can advance like the kingdom agenda, right? Like, practically, like you have these abilities, these skills, and you know this about God. Well, how does that like intersect? Like, well, how does that become like not a theory, but like a lived reality? Um, and so that's kind of what they aim to do. So they do like entrepreneur, the biggest things that I'm invested in with them are trying to grow their school into a larger platform and reach the younger generation, which is something they're trying to do. Yeah. So, um, so like other than just producing like pastors, like people who preach at a church, like they're trying to expand it beyond that. Like they want to educate people in the fashion that you're not just someone who preaches on Sunday the how do you really move the church and the kingdom of God is not by being in the four walls of the church, but spreading the four walls of the church into a business, into a service, into uh, a platform, a, a YouTube channel, a a product company or whatever the case may be. Like those are all church. Those are all kingdom. And to challenge them to expand into those facets. So do you have any examples of like, how you've seen that and either like the people that you've worked with or the people who've come through like the seminary program of expanding, right? Like their kingdom influence into those different like outlets, be it like YouTube or podcasting or social media. Uh, so I would definitely say that I am a product of their school. Like definitely my podcast come out of it. I actually think someone else from the school they're in the, they're planning a podcast themselves um, but other than that, a lot of these people have ideas or businesses like trucking companies and stuff like that, that there's, that they have, but the entrepreneurial, uh, professor is trying to pull that out of them. Right. So these people, once they graduate, it's like, they're just an extension of that, of that school, right? They, their businesses are representing the name of that school. So it's like trucking companies there's like food industry people who are like who who sell food or like have different ministries online and how to teach people to like adapt to something like COVID. Like how can you still be an entrepreneur in the midst of COVID and how can COVID in some weird ways provide opportunity for you to be to, to open up other streams of business? Yeah, it's super cool. I think that's really interesting. I think um, I think it's. I don't know. I don't know much about it, but like, it just seems really cool how like ministry isn't like a fixed thing. Like it can be manipulated to like fit different contexts and circumstances where it's not, it's not like you can pursue ministry or this, you can pursue ministry in the context of other things. So I think that's really cool in the way that you said that like there are trunk, trucking companies and food companies and kind of what you're doing too, all in the context of ministry, not just other things, if that kind of makes sense. Um, yeah, I like the way that you said that, like ministry in the uh, context of other things. That I think that's a really good way to say it. And yeah. it's actually very freeing because it's like, well, I want to serve God, but I'm not in a church. So how do I do it? It's like it's so freeing to be like, well, you are serving God, like because how are you representing as you do those things? And what do you do? You use your business or your career as a leg up for the kingdom of God. Then then you are in, in ministry. 
Yeah. And one thing that I noticed from just like what you're talking about, all your extracurriculars, right? Like BCM or the podcast or the you know, other RS, our university organization you're part of, or even the seminary school, right? Like I feel like the American way would just be like, how are all those things benefiting your like main goal of becoming this career, this end goal? Whereas like you were talking about earlier, it's not like whether or not you should be doing these things, but like whether you want to or have the desire to. And yeah, you seem really excited about everything you're pursuing and yeah, just really, it's really cool. Like all of it. Thank you. I mean, I, and that's one thing that's very important to me is authenticity. I don't mm. want to, uh, I don't want to fake anything. Like, even if it's difficult, I want to authentically do it, you know, so that's important. Yeah, so for this next question, it kind of gets a little bit deeper, but as a black man living in America and a Christian, how do you feel like your ministry and the way that you like work to grow the kingdom uh, has been kind of impacted in such like political turmoil and like just civil unrest in our country? It's very interesting because I would say I'm a very cohesive person. I aim to uh, group people together, not separate them. So for me, it's kind of like it's kind of like being like in a war, and I'm on one side of the war, and I'm like, "Hey, wait! They're actually not our enemy. Don't go attack them." And then it's just like in the midst of all of the confusion, I'm like trampled by all of these soldiers. And they just go engage in the war anyway. And so I think that was how I would phrase my overarching, um, how that has shaped my idea of ministry. Like there's there's so many seeds of division um, and pain and bitterness that are invested in people. And uh, to a degree, I believe that for, for the African-American community, um, there's a tremendous amount of like, unresolved issues of like identity of belonging like do we do we even belong to this country well do we belong to africa like do can i can i call africa home well they don't really want to accept us either so like then i'm going to force america to be my home and i'm going to fight for what i my my space but then in the same breath it's like well i'm tired of fighting we've been fighting for all of this time and you know and there's always this looming context of the 400 years of slavery and so I think in spite of that, it's like, where has the joy been in your life? Like, where has the substance been in your life? Like, finding those moments have become extremely important to me. Like, I don't want to be in, defined entirely by this traumatic history. And I don't want to continue to, I don't want to let that continue to stop me from making difficult connections with other people. Right. And so, like, for me, I'm trying to find ways to bridge those gaps, like how to say, like, how can we acknowledge your oppression? How can we acknowledge the things that you've been through while also acknowledging that the other side cannot take the brunt of the entirety of what 400 years of people have done? Like, how where's the balance between them taking responsibility for the role that they currently play in it? It's like, let's stop playing this blame game. Like, let's take who's going to take responsibility and that's not on either side. I think, and that's a beautiful thing that responsibility is a choice. It's not a demand. Like, are you going to be responsible or aren't you? And so it's like, who is willing on either side to be responsible for this thing so that future generations don't have to bear the burden of this like we do? And so I would say that's kind of like how, how it shaped the direction that I want to go in. 
And that's kind of where Comfort Free comes in because I don't really aim to challenge one side of things. I'm not here to just affirm uh, progressive people and I'm not here to just defend uh, conservative people either. Right. I'm here to attack both sides. I'm here to benefit, favor both sides to kind of bridge this huge gap in the middle of this discomforting turmoil, kind of try to unite people in the middle of that. And, and ironically, the tool that I'm using to, to try to unite these people uh, is their difference and is the discomfort, if, if that makes sense. And I would kind of say, like, in terms of the turmoil in this country, that, that's how. Like that, that's like where, where it's got my head in terms of what am I going to do in ministry? How am I going to serve? You talked a lot about the past, but even like present day, like things as of late, like the past year have been pretty rough. Um, and then you mentioned like taking responsibility, right? What does taking responsibility like actually look like? Like for both sides, not just like one side over the other. I think I'm just a little confused, like what you're talking about there. Absolutely. Those are, I think those are pretty important questions. I think, for mm -hmm. example, like, I think there's this uh, thing, like, it's not our job, right, to educate other people about privilege or anything like that, like all of these different things, right? Well, it has to be somebody's responsibility. And the best people to educate other people, uh, sadly, is us, right? Because we know we notice the nuances and the subtleties, right? And so maybe another other, but there's a, there's a catch 22 to that because we don't have the power like behind our voice. Our voice isn't the most influential voice. So it's up to us to bring the accurate narrative, but it's also the responsibility of the other side to empower those voices and to understand those concepts and flush them out using the the influence that they have, but it's going to take both sides. So I can't blame once blame is not going to get me anywhere. It's not going to get me. Well, you didn't teach me. Well, you're the person it's not, that's not going to get us anywhere. It's more of this idea. Are you willing to step up to the plate? And if you're not, okay, then who is right? So that, that that's like the first question. I don't remember the second question. You asked two questions. You, you've talked about this disconnect between both sides, right? Like, and a lot of it, a lot of it you're addressing stems from like the past and like past hurts, but like, what about like present day hurts? Like, how does that affect what you're trying to do, right? Like when you're trying to bridge, the, bridge that gap and like bring unity, but then things keep on happening, which disturb that. Yeah, I think um, representing who the enemy is, and I don't mean like Satan or anything like that, but like representing who the actual enemy is like i love that analogy of the two wolves right like and it's it's hard to put into practice but it essentially goes there's two wolves right and they're in this eternal battle right and so one is like hatred and evil and dark and whatever and this other one this other wolf is like white and it's pure and it's light and all of this like it's it represents the good things and so some person asks the question well which wolf survives like which wolf wins the fight and the answer is whichever wolf you feed, right? So I often see someone contributing to hateful, like a hateful narrative, right? Like like racism or prejudice. And so I could totally feed into that and like be angry, aggressive, upset. And it's not to say that I will not be, I won't be bothered by what they're doing. And I, and, and I think, 
and and this is like a I'm kind of getting off track, but anger in this sense is a positive emotion. It doesn't have to be interpreted negatively, but it doesn't have to be anger from the lens of hatred either. Right. And so it's like I can be indict like righteously angry about about this, but put that on the shelf. Going back to what I was saying, um, who, who is my real enemy? Right. If I choose to indulge in that hatred and join them, I'm feeding the wolf that I want to kill. I'm feeding the thing that I want to die. And so like when I see stuff like Capitol Hill or stuff like that, at this point and at this stage in the game, it doesn't assault me the same way. And I know this. I'm not saying that everyone should feel the same way that I do about it. It was it, it was something to be ashamed of. It was something to be angry about. Right. But I'm not going to let it burden and condemn me for my identity. Right. Because that's exactly the type of feedback that it wants to give me. And I'm not going to cancel these people either because canceling them will let their narrative continue to go on and, and, and be passed on to someone else. Just because I choose to cut them off doesn't do anything. The only real engagement that I can have with defeating the enemy that I want, which is the ideas that stimulate their behavior, is to continue to confront their ideas and confront them and confront the behavior that I believe is problematic, even if it's exhausting. And it's to engage with them in a way where it's not like I'm in your life and I don't agree with the things that you do and believe. Right. And I can be in your life without supporting the things that you believe and without supporting the bigotry that you, that you advocate for. Right. And so, so that's kind of, I believe the practical thing to you to kind of you to unite the people on that front. Like the enemy of the, of, of my enemy is a friend, Right. Even if we have this opposition, we, we shouldn't be looking at each other. I don't really aim to hate you. It's the ideas that you've been fed that I want to eradicate. Yeah, absolutely. And that's so powerful. And that all right just comes back to that unity, right? And it's and it's all that idea of just the countercultural nature of like the kingdom. What our culture tells us, right, is that right, we should be canceling people, we should just be um, on these complete opposite sides. This is the enemy, this is the enemy, and we're just always um, clashing. Um, but yeah, I just love what you're saying of just instead of that cutting off or just ignoring doing your own thing, you're willing to continue in like that battle and confronting those ideas, challenging those ideas through conversation, through making your voice heard and in an attempt to not defeat this single person or these people in battle, but rather like the ideas, um, and the things that are feeding that dark wolf or the, the wolf of hatred um yeah absolutely uh, perfectly said and i can only imagine like you mentioned it yourself like a few times right i can only imagine like how exhausting that might be and not even to like add upon like the grief and the sadness and the righteous anger you're talking about right on top of those things like so when it comes to those things right like how how do you deal like what's what's your attitude towards those emotions and when you get tired or when you get frustrated right yeah i think there's this large frustration that it's like, it's like, dang, you have, as an African-American, you have every right to respond in the anger that you, you're responding in. But I don't want you to respond this way because I feel like you are hurting yourself, right? Like when, when you have every right to lash out, but society is waiting on you to lash out, it's, it's just so frustrating. It's like... How do I alleviate the burden that these people feel? How do I how do I tell them something that's so hard for them to hear, but I believe is beneficial to them? 
And so I think I, that that frustration, I think you 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 pinpointed it very accurately. Um, how how do I deal with it? Um, I think I choose to to love the best to love the best way that I can, and and maybe that's me sometimes. Like maybe that's like I'm not gonna I'm not going to be the biggest advocate for all of this right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna unplug from that. And there are other ways that. that I don't have to be engaging with this one idea like African, like supporting my goal in life is not to just support African-Americans. My goal in life is to support humans and human agency. Right. So maybe sometimes I'm taxed out at being like a black savior or whatever. And, and so that's exhausting. But maybe like there's a person, regardless of the color of their skin, they're suffering from depression right next to me. I can still help them. Right. And so sometimes it's a break from that. And sometimes I I often, and this maybe isn't the most healthy thing, but I kind of go into this hermit stage where I like retract for a brief time to lick my wounds and to recuperate and to recharge with God for a long stage till I'm ready to re-engage with the broader society and the broader community. And so those are kind of the ways that I, that I would deal with that. And then it's just to remember, like, I don't have to choose to drink the poison you hand me. Like, I don't. Like, it's awful, it's disgusting, it's gross. It's not that I don't care, but I don't have to feed into everything. I don't have to leap at every opportunity. I have to remember that, and Martin Luther King said it best, the, the, the battle for justice is long, but it arcs in the favor of, of, of righteousness, of, of, of what's good. And I think remembering that is important. Like, I'm not going to, like, it, like it reminds me of Egypt when, when the, there were, they were enslaved the Israelites were enslaved to Egypt for 400 years. Isn't that ironic? The African-American community was enslaved for 400 years and we're still battling the residue of that nature. Well, God didn't kill it in, in a year. He He heard our prayers. He didn't ignore them. And I guess it kind of goes back to, to trusting trusting him. Like, like, even though this may burden me or hurt me, like, even though I may not see the answer that I want while my eyes are still open and my lungs are still breathing, this is going to go the way that it should. And I, 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 that, I think that idea, that resilience is the thing that keeps me over any of the other ways that I mentioned. Like, even if I don't see it, this is going to go the way that it should go. Yeah, absolutely. And you said something that I found just, yeah, really profound, um, is that you go into this hermit stage, right? Where sometimes you do need to just retract. And like you said, lick your own wounds. And, you know, we're just um, coming off of... Uh, a retreat that Ivy put on called pause just about rest and like God calling us in a Sabbath. And I think that's so important of right in order to um, go out and pour out of ourselves, we first need to be filled. So I was just wondering like, what are some of the ways that you find that you're able to rest? You're able to be recharged, um, rest. What are the things that like bring you joy uh, so that you can go out and pour out of yourself like that? In this season, podcasting has done a lot of that for me. It's just, it's refreshing because it's it's natural for me. And so engaging with so many people, the light and the glory that like hides in people, like the way that they're made in his image just is rest in itself. Like to engage with that part of people is a beautiful thing. I like, uh, but I really like worship. I like worshiping. I like pulling out my guitar, like not singing any classic traditional worship or like, you know, modern contemporary Christian song, but just feeling like what what melody on this guitar, on this instrument in my vocal cords right now can express what my body is saying, right? 
And then what words can I put to that that I feel that God is saying through my heart? And I think that's very refreshing. I love poetry. And when I'm really in the gutters, I'll write. I'll write some poetry, do some spoken word. I might perform every once in a while. And uh, I think the biggest thing that is rest is the idea that it's okay for me not to be okay. And that's that's really important. Like, I'm still broken. Like, as much as I aim to, I want to free people and help people, I'm I'm still broken. And so learning who I am, which I think is a lifetime thing, like I think we're infinite creatures, right, made in the image of an infinite God. So I think it takes a lifetime to learn me, right, and the ways that I am broken. And so sometimes in a season of rest, I may not know exactly why I'm depleted, and so learning more, taking time to question, why am I so exhausted? Why am I feeling the way that I'm feeling? Maybe for weeks at a time. You know, it, it may take me weeks to flush out exactly why that I feel the way that I feel. But digging through that closet of all of those other things, typically it relates back to something like in the past. Um, and it helps me heal. And so I think that's a very important way for me to rest as well. So like poetry, guitar, my comfort free stuff, ministering to other people and asking that question of like, and I'm being humble enough to admit that I don't know the entirety of who I am. And just to take a couple weeks of silence and reflection to reflect on that brokenness that that everyone has. Yeah, that's good. And yeah, while you were just talking, right, I, I think a thought occurred to me, it's kind of circling back to like encompassing everything we talked about, right? You said that your goal in life isn't to is to support like all humans and yeah just thinking from like a broad viewpoint now like i just i can see that in like everything you do right like switching from electrical engineering to behavioral neurology um yeah engaging in the podcast like the seminary school or even like taking part in bcm taking a step back from leadership and supporting younger leaders i think I think that's really cool. And I think that's something that needs to be highlighted, at least in this podcast, right? Like you don't need to have a direction in life. You don't need to have like clear instructions. You just need to know like what you're passionate about and love to do. And um, yeah, God will fill in the blanks and it may not be the straightest path or anything, but yeah, everything else would, it's like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm the nerd, but I'm thinking like an essay right now. Like that would be the topic sentence and everything else under in that paragraph would support that topic sentence. So that's the image that's coming to my mind. But um, yeah, that's just a thought that I had. Yeah. I think, I think that's really good. Um, like the, the, what's the thesis statement of this essay? Like everything else will come kind of, I think, I think you summarized that well. And I, and I, I try to embody that in everything that I do, you know, just, I like, I love people. I really do. Um, I think even the, the most toxic or violent person like if you learn them long enough, you'll see this instance to where you can understand how they were made in the image of God. And it's like one of the most beautiful experiences that you can have. And the, and to, to piggyback off of what you were saying, Johnny, um, when you were talking about, you know, you don't have to have this everything figured out in this like 10 step plan, which has nine subsections in every step. Like, you know, like um, <laughs> um, I think the most profound thing that I've stumbled upon lately in regard to that is like, you're a human being, right? Not a human doer. And so I know it sounds like really shallow, like, but you were created to be. And so 
I think people think of their purpose in life from the wrong facet. I think people think of their purpose in life as this grandiose task that they're meant to fulfill or accomplish in, in the span of 90 years. But really your purpose is to be that which God created you to be. Like that is your purpose. So discovering who that is, feeling those emotions, reacting in a godly fashion to the to those emotions and to those desires, that is your purpose. And if you react the way that you are designed to react and you feel the way that you that you were designed to feel and you do the things that you feel drawn to do and that that you feel drawn to hate and all of those things, you will inevitably accomplish whatever grandiose goal that you may have been designed to do. So if you want to feel fulfill your purpose, then be like figure out who you are, learn who you are and just just be. That's that's your life purpose. That's the the pinnacle of your existence is to figure out who you're supposed to be and then be that person, not to do any one specific task. Yeah, man, that is so wise. And yeah, thank you for sharing that with us. And thank you for sharing like all of this with us, all of these ideas and thoughts. It's been so cool, like hearing you talk, uh, sharing like your story. Yeah, everything that, that we've had the pleasure of discussing with you today. For our viewers, if you like this kind of content, if you love hearing the sound of Amir's voice, remember to check him out at Comfort Free Conversations. Um, give his podcast a listen as well. I know I definitely will be. Um, but again, Amir, thank you so much for being on this week. It's been an absolute pleasure, like I said. Yeah, man, I love you guys. Like, you guys are some of my favorite, like, leaders like coming up, I, I, you guys are my role models and I admire you guys too. And, and, um, it's, it's really dope. I, I was excited to come on, you know, just to like fellowship with like both of you. So thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, Amir.